You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We're the editors of Manufacturing.net and Industrial Equipment News, and we each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we cover the five biggest stories in manufacturing and the implications they have on the industry moving forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Anna, episode 51. Getting excited for next week? Going to be a year? Yeah, and you just did the intro flawlessly, 10 out of 10. Yeah, no, but there's still a lot going in my mind. It just didn't come out of my mouth this time, which was really nice. (laughs) Uh, Jeff, 51 weeks, really looking forward to that one-year anniversary. How about you? Absolutely. And it's kind of funny, like we've done this now, what, in three different places? Oh, yeah, yeah, locations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's I've actually never been happier to be in this studio today with how cold it is outside. Mm -hmm. It feels like we're sitting next to a fire. It's nice and toasty. There's, you know, li- the implications of being in an office building in Wisconsin, those summers are beautiful by that window. <laughs> and right now, you know, you feel every bit of that four degrees outside. I, could, I like had to take three layers off to come into the studio. Just, I think it's every window in this office. Yeah. Like the one by my desk, too. I don't yeah. know. But. There's a breeze coming through. <laughs> you know, we're asking why some people are out today. Ah, maybe that's that. Yeah. You know. All right. <clears throat> Let's jump into our first story this week. Air Force commits $60 million to supersonic air travel. Last week, Boom Supersonic announced a new three-year partnership with the U.S. Air Force to accelerate R&D on the company's supersonic commercial airliner, the Overture. The contract was awarded through the Air Force's innovation arm, AFWorks, or AFWorks, specifically the AF Ventures or AF Ventures division, designed to help accelerate commercial technologies that could prove useful to the service. Overture is designed to carry 65 to 88 passengers at Mach 1.7, twice as fast as any airliner today with a range of 4,888 miles. Now, it's powered by sustainable aviation fuels, and it could be the first large commercial aircraft to be net zero carbon from day one. The plan is to begin manufacturing next year, roll out in 2025, and have passengers boarding this craft, Jeff, by 2029. That is sooner than you think. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of positive stuff here. Mm-hmm. And I know you, especially when it comes to the uh, the supersonic yeah. travel, you kind of have the Ricky Bobby syndrome. You just want to go fast. Go faster. Yeah. Exactly. So there is a lot of positive stuff here, especially I think what, what really jumped out at me is the range. Mm-hmm. That is huge improvement over commercial airliners right now. But a lot of that comes from the fact that this is a lighter weight aircraft. Mm-hmm. It's more efficient from a fuel perspective. It's shaped like a missile. Yeah. So, I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's really got all of those things going for it. But when you think of what the Air Force would want long term, yes, they want the speed, mm-hmm. but the application is so different oh, from yeah. a commercial passenger jet. Mm. So, my concern would be, while Air Ventures does a lot of cool stuff here, and um, actually, um, Fast Company had a really interesting article about AF Ventures and helping how they've really kind of helped a lot of these startups from falling into what they call the valley of death, Yeah, which yeah. is sort of that time period between we've got this finished product, we know it's great, now we need to get somebody to actually buy it, mm-hmm. we need some customers. Yeah. So somebody like the Air Force can jump in, provide this funding to help cover that and help them to refine their product, hopefully not you know square off the cor- or round off the corners, stuff like that. But again, the Air Force looks to 
haul a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not 60 to 80, you know, soldiers. They want to haul 100 troops with three Jeeps and a tank and literally tons of equipment and supplies. So I guess when I first looked at this, my concern would be, could the Air Force potentially be coming in, influencing some of the R&D that Boom is doing oh, gotcha. and taking them in a different direction that would be not as commercially viable? Might be great for them, yeah. but we don't know if it's going to work exactly for what the Air Force application would be. In the meantime, again, could they get off course for what they want to do from a commercial flight perspective? So it'll be interesting to see how Boom can sort of manage this because it seems like they're doing a lot of positive things. They're going in the right direction. They're, this does seem more viable mm-hmm. than some other folks that we've seen try it. Um, to their credit, they've lasted longer than Boeing. I mean, Boeing just shuttered yeah. um, a similar Area, type yeah. of venture. Yeah. So a lot of positive stuff here. You just want to keep them, see them stay on track. Well, and what I like about it too is, you know, it's, the Air Force partnering with these companies, you know, and I'll get into it in a a little bit more in a bit, but you know, instead of the Air Force, just seeing something shiny that they like and buying it, it's just like, you know what? You're doing a great job over there. Here's an influx of cash. Keep doing it. And like I said, you could see this going both ways, right? You could see them giving them that funding to get to the finish line and do what they got to do. But I would think if you're a design engineer here, putting the finishing touches on it, it's going to be very difficult Mm-hmm. To not have that Air Force representative looking over your shoulder saying, you know, if you did it this, this would help us a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And could you kind of try to do this too while you're doing those other things? And, you know, we've seen it in other situations. The influx of cash is great. The influence can go either way. Well, and to your point, the CEO of Boom actually came out and said, you know, they've won previous contracts with uh, the Air Force um, and but those have been smaller, you know, what they call their small bets. When they make these big bet, bets on company, he mentioned that, you know, this gives them a direct line to the military to see what applications it'll work for. So you're right. Maybe there is a little bit of uh, influence there. Definitely. I mean, 60 million has got to be quite a bit of influence, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know, though. I mean, like, it's a great point. And I think, though, like maybe uh, moving them away from commercial applications maybe isn't the worst thing. I feel like there's a lot of hurdles there. Maybe they don't need to be on track. Maybe they need to get off track. (laughs) Um, And and this is just my, my perspective on supersonic, but I do think that I'm not the only one out there that feels this way. I read this report in wall street journal over the summer about um, the failure of the Concorde. Right. So that was this money losing supersonic project from years back that the Wall Street Journal said, quote, failed for a reason. Mm. And they say that the case was because people won't pay more to fly faster. Mm. Um, and there are some in the industry that that say like, well, the innovation has developed at a pace where uh, it's cheaper and more efficient to produce these now so we can get those tickets down more in line with what a regular business class ticket would be. Okay, but do we really believe that? I don't know. It's It's mm. new technology. It's new fuel. And from what I know about sustainable fuel so far, like it's expensive. Um, I think that matters a lot. And I think too, like the report went on to cite some data that showed that like in the last 50 years, consumers have always prioritized a good deal over a fast flight. Mm -hmm. Always. Well, I mean, look at the (laughs) success of Spirit Airlines. People don't care about anything except cost there. Yeah. They don't even care about seats. You could (laughs) like only be able to pack a pair of jeans in your pocket. Yeah. And you would take that flight (laughs) because it's the cheapest. I don't know. And like, it just made me think too, like 
you know, we talk about perception issues with like autonomous technology and that's leading edge on automotive. And we know that there's tons of people out there who are terrified of the idea of riding in a driverless car. Mm -hmm. Um, Supersonic tech. I don't know. Do you think like the average Joe flyer, somebody who's flying like a couple times a year, max, like are, are they on average, David, Mm -hmm. not speaking to you right now? (laughs) Yeah. I think some people are going to be terrified. I mean, if you look at like the stuff that we see on the internet that we take as fact, you know, like when 38% of Americans said they would never buy Corona beer under any circumstances (laughs) when the coronavirus was about to come into the U S in 2020, Mm -hmm. that really happened. Um, I get to see like a video circulating where somebody's like, if you drink caffeine on a supersonic flight, your eyeballs will explode or something. I mean, you know, that's going to happen regardless there's well, gonna be I know, but yeah. it could be impactful is my point yeah like, no, i think this is for more of the uh and we've talked about in the past the business traveler the uh you know and i think even though the concord failure wasn't that f- long ago people are becoming more and more uh their their time is of a higher value now and it's as that happens i think that's um, well, first of all, they either got to lose the middle seat entirely. <laughs> well, when you look at the way this is set up, I mean, it's a nicer plane, but it's so narrow. I yeah. mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this is, how this, because it's probably going to be more expensive and stuff, how comfortable it is. Again, yeah. being six, three, like it doesn't take a lot for me to get uncomfortable on a plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I'm paying more to be on this type of, of jet, you know, there there is always that that balance between your time and the cost and, and comfort yeah. and all those types of things. So it will be interesting to see how it pans out. I just I think it, I think Anna made a good point about the fuel though. Yeah, it's going to be interesting there. It's more expensive fuel in theory. It's supposed to be more efficient. Right. Mm-hmm. Will that have an impact on the price of the ticket? I don't know. I mean, like anything, like any new technology, yes, it will initially. And then hopefully the cost will come down if there is accept or more consumer buy-in. But I think with business travelers alone, uh, there is there is a demand for this. I mean, Sure, but business travel is down a lot right now. I mean, oh, we're I like, there's a lot of like a business travel that's not coming back. No, that's a big reason that Arion, the Boeing-backed one that we were talking about, failed. Right. It's because mm-hmm. aerospace tanked during the uh, pandemic and they're just like, that exact reason. But I mean, I think if you have uh, the a little bit of funding from the Air Force, you still see a little bit of demand out there. And if you can find a niche in uh, freight applications as well, I think there's a demand for the technology. Freight, I see. Yeah. For sure. But I mean, if you can make it work there first, you know, there you can, it stands to reason that it could then also transition to, you know, maybe a limited, more niche market in consumer travel. It's very expensive for See, a niche I think market. Freight is going to be tough because, again, one of the benefits is lower weight, more efficient travel, all of that. So yeah. if you're dealing with freight, which is potentially heavier, more of it, mm-hmm. you can't charge as much per yeah. parcel as you would per person. But um, will Amazon buy some and be oh. super duper fast at getting yeah, I mean, it's a product point. across the yeah, country? I don't know. Point. Before we get out of here, I wanted to talk about AF Ventures <laughs> or App like, Ventures. Stop talking. No, uh, <laughs> well, just because, you know, we've already gone a little bit long, but App Ventures, this program is actually really cool. Since 2018, they've given out 2,299 awards to 1,433 companies that have been about then that have been worth about $710 million in uh, funding. Now, many of these companies are relatively young and small companies. Companies average about nine years old and almost 85% of them have 25 employees or less. And I thought that was incredible because it's a big part of the Air Force 
trying this outreach with uh, getting small companies more involved. And I thought that was really cool in terms of the program. So stick oh. with AF Ventures, not AFWorks or whatever that other weird acronym was, though. Yeah. Well, and they call funny. it, they, and they also, when I was, uh, I was watching a bunch of presentations and they, they call it like AFWorks and AF Ventures. And I'm like, why is it not AF Ventures? It that sounds me. much better. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, the other thing is that of the $710 million, they've put nearly as much of it into, uh, they've put a quarter of it into AI and machine le- learning, hmm. more than double what they actually spent in aerospace, which I thought was very interesting, yeah. as well as they've put almost as much in robotics and autonomous vehicles as aerospace. Ah. So, you know, Air Force is uh, dipping its toe in a lot of, you know, emerging tech. That also include they also had spending in quantum computing and 3D printing. So it can possibly some really cool applications to come out of this. Absolutely. I think that continues with a lot of the military technology trends that we're seeing, which if we can get soldiers out of harm's way, mm-hmm. rely more on the machine to do the work, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Our next most popular story this week, 3.4 million in fraudulent relief funds generates 16 million forfeiture of Tesla stock. In April 2020, Andrew Lloyd submitted numerous CARES Act loan applications using false company names, phony tax documents, and the personal information of relatives and business associates without their permission. He submitted nine Paycheck Protection Program applications. Six of them were funded for a total of 3.4 million. Instead of sports cars or high-end escorts, like we've seen with some people in the past, Lloyd used $1.8 million of it to buy 15,000 shares of Tesla stock at $114 per share. He also bought more than 20 prop- he also bought more than 20 properties in Oregon and California. Now, like many a PPP criminal before him, he was caught and charged with bank fraud, money laundering, and aggravated identity theft. He was sentenced to 48 months in federal prison, has to surrender the properties that he bought and forfeit the Tesla stock, which is now trading at more than $11,000 or $1,100 per share. One too many zeros. Now that's a nice 970% return equal to more than 17.4 million. Jeff, finally, a good score for the government. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) Yes. Oh man. We did it. I mean, there's a ton of like wonderful ironies to this whole story. Yeah. I think one of the things that jumps out too is the guy was obviously, I mean, horrible for what he was doing and stealing money. But if he would have been just, a, not only he was smart with the way he invested it, but why go to 3.4? Like yeah. stop at like 400 grand and he's probably golden. Yeah. But kept going and I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting. And the cool thing too um, with this money, whatever they can sell these properties for, as well as the increase in the stock price, mm-hmm. he's supposed to pay back the money he stole. Let's be real. I mean, mm-hmm. how's that going to happen? But all that money could go back into law enforcement. Mm. All those seized, that's the, all those the seized assets. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of interesting too. But when you look at, and we could, we've talked about this a number of times, you've, you've had some really interesting stories on some of these guys who, and what they've done with these illegally gotten uh, PPE fund, PPP funds, mm-hmm. they're estimating like 15 to 20% of everything that was doled out under this oh. program mm-hmm. was fraudulent. That's like $84 billion oh. that just went to crooks. Yeah. And there's no way we're seeing all of that. I mean, these make headlines because they're unique stories and the people were caught. Yeah. But again, there was a lot of individuals out there who were smarter criminals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. got away with it and realized, you know what? If I keep this on the down low, yeah. I'm probably going to get away with it and keep it. 
the ones we hear about are the ones that got greedy. This guy yeah. filled six applications out using the same information. No, nine. You yeah. filled out nine, got six. Yeah. It, yeah diff- the same information on different applications. But he also, I mean, it just has to be so frustrating because like he made all these big bets and they just hit really big. Yeah. And it all worked. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, somewhere he's just like, see, I told you if I just had people that would have invested with me, this would be on the, would be legit. Yeah. No, yeah. The loan application packages, like you said, they are, they had the same information across different business entities, including the businesses, physical locations. And we've seen that a lot before too. We're like, no, I operated 17 businesses out of my home. No. And therefore like, uh, oh, and the names of several dozen employees. So yeah. it's just be a little more creative. Use the last name for the first mm-hmm. name. Yeah. And like, he probably could have gotten away with it. I mean, that's what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, as part of his plea agreement, so he's agreed to pay back the 3.6 million restitution as to whether or not they'll see that. Well, you know, who knows? Lloyd also agreed to forfeit more than $11 million in cash and securities and 23 properties. It's just, it's incredible. And I mean, at least this guy, what is it? Uh, Andrew, at least he had just a banger of a year last year. You know, I bet he had a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> That's all that matters in the end. <laughs> right. Well, and he did talk one other individual too, and in it's coming into yeah. it with him, and that guy got caught as well. And he did try to keep it more on the down low. He only stole like, you know, 700 grand or something. Oh, mm-hmm. so. man. It's a paltry yeah. sum of money. Right. To be the poor co conspirator. <laughs> and uh, yet another PPP fraud story. Yeah. Uh, I found it interesting. You know, it seems like a lot of times they want, you know, you want to hide the money. But I don't know that investing it in Tesla stock is, I mean, that seems very traceable. Right. I mean, at some point, like, don't you have to file some sort of tax document? And I don't know. Something. Something. I, I mean, obviously, he's a little sloppy with well, his document for He was good at making those up. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And he was probably thinking like, well, nobody caught me doing this. So yeah. because like, I can't buy a pair of jeans and like enter my email. And if I already have an account with whatever it is, they're like <laughs> already on file. Like. Yeah. And that's like the gap. I mean, yeah. and this is the government, but mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. I mean, yeah, to that to that note, though, have yeah. you ever used a government website? Yeah. Like, I, oh my, I, just I to know. register a pet, it is the rickettiest thing I've ever used. Just like put, and to the point where they're like, all right, now enter your credit card number here. I'm like, I don't think I want to. For what? It's not no. looking yeah. very secure. <laughs> Can I just send you $20 in cash? That seems safer. A stamped self-addressed envelope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and uh, you're right, though. A lot of these consumer websites are just way safer. Yeah, it's weird that this was like just so bungled. Uh, it's insane. But I mean, whatever. And it's like you want to laugh at it. But, um, you know, like Jeff was saying, like these are the dumbest people that got caught. There's mm-hmm. so many people that didn't get caught. I'm actually getting sort of fatigued at seeing these stories. Cause yeah. It's so frustrating. You think about how hard people work every day to pay their taxes, like honest, hardworking people. And just this is where this money goes. I don't know. It's just frustrating. But anyway, all that said, (laughs) at least in this case, the government um, got maybe his money back and then somebody else's that they're not getting back because they didn't, you know, net a profit on this uh, Tesla stock, which I just want to take this opportunity to say is insanely overvalued. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I just don't like that stock. Like, so he bought it at 114. Like, obviously you've seen how insane it's been in the last two years. Um, and so I was just picturing these like government employees or uh, federal law enforcement. They're looking at this and they're like, maybe Sell. we no. should just ride this out a little bit. See what happens. Uh-huh. Like, they're like yeah. ready to, to pounce, but they wait. 
I don't know. It's just like so crazy. Oh, you mean like they were on to him, yeah. but they're watching the Tesla stock trends and they're like, let's not get him yet. Yeah. I think it's going to go over a thousand per share. Yeah. Then like, we'll get him. He came in at 114. Let's just <laughs> ride this out. <laughs> but it's so weird to me, the stock. Like I know that people talk about Tesla a lot. We talk about Tesla a lot, but like, um, and, and investors, like the analysts say that like the, the profit margin on electrics is better, right? Mm-hmm. Than other automotive, but like, Tesla's stock, like the highest it got in the last year was over $1,200. The highest Ford stock got in the last year was $27. (laughs) And Ford has sold twice as many vehicles in 2021 as Tesla. I do not understand. Yeah, Somebody explain this to me. It's like a 500x markup because of cool factor. I don't know. (laughs) Well, and you wonder why Elon sold some, right? Yeah. Well, and like Ford's Ford's making electrics. I mean, like they have all kinds of electrics in the pipeline. We know that. Like, I just don't get why it is so much more valuable to, you know, however much percent that is over $27 a share. I don't know. Just whatever. It is ridiculous. No, you're right. I got to get. You know, my entire 401k is Tesla. So I just, I got to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> Tesla and Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, Tesla and Bitcoin. Dogecoin. Well, that was actually funny. Bitcoin, because I was doing some research for this, this story. Um, the government also has to be careful whenever they do a seizure, like with those ransomware attacks, they get that Bitcoin. Oh, that interesting. Yeah. That. Oh, okay. So then they have to be careful when they, because they don't keep it, they auction it off. Mm-hmm. So... With the, you know, recently there's been a fair amount of fluctuation mm-hmm. in the value of that. So that's another sort of interesting dynamic that the government's dealing with right now. What Man. do you do with this Bitcoin when you seize it for some of these illegal activities? Well, like, and yeah, like, do you like have to play the market on that and like hold right. on to it? And I just, that's yeah. strange. A back stock in my, is, a stock is a little more straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Currency. Or yeah. like, you know, back in my day when they just bought cars, you just had to auction them off and that was it. <laughs> yeah, right. Transaction over. Exactly. All right. Our next most popular story this week, tornado ravaged candle factory will not reopen. On December 10th, a tornado demolished the Mayfield Consumer Products candle plant in Mayfield, Kentucky. Nine people at the Mayfield Consumer Products plant lost their lives. Now, the surviving employees have learned that the company will permanently shutter the plant and layoffs are coming with it. Mayfield plans to relocate some workers to a nearby plant in Hickory. The company said, however, quote, although many employees are being offered a transfer, they will not, there will not be a room enough for the entire population. A plant manager then said employees, oh, the plant manager said employees not offered the transfer will be laid off likely permanently. But then the company spokesperson came out and said the company is, quote, committed to the rehiring of everyone into meeting or exceeding the employment levels it had prior to the tornado. So, Anna, will all of the Mayfield workers retain their jobs? I guess we'll see, but doesn't seem likely. It doesn't, um, you know, and I get it. It would be really hard to reopen this plant after what happened there. Um, mm-hmm. That's a big hill to climb in terms of I mean, not only just physical reconstruction, but also employee morale and pent up frustrations and resentment. Um, it was really, I mean... People were physically injured. There's probably a lot of employees that are dealing with some sort of like PTSD, you know, from just that experience. That was awful. So what can the company do exactly? Well, maybe they can't move every person because they don't have the space in their nearby facility. Although prior to this, they were saying they were working around the clock. So obviously demand is there. So they, they need to, I don't know, make up that somewhere, I guess. But, uh, 
I'll tell you what I wouldn't do in this situation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If I'm this company, I would not generate confusion amongst these employees around what is happening. Because yeah. yeah. I feel like that's what's happening right now. Because if you put in writing with the warn notice, as they did, that they're anticipating some 250 layoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone from your company later says that the company is, quote, committed to the rehiring of everyone. Mm-hmm. I think people might have some questions because those two statements combined are very incoherent. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. even get through it. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't come across as very honest and straightforward. And then you look at how like the company is being sued by workers who are saying yeah. the managers told them that if they left prior to this tornado that they would be fired. And the management is saying, no, we didn't. Um, I think it makes it even easier to believe those workers yeah. when you see that the the company is like maybe, I don't know. A cluster, or maybe there's some communication breakdowns happening yeah. between upper management and plant floor management, or whatever. I don't know. I wasn't there, but um, it's very. It was very distasteful the way that they're handling this situation, and I'm I'm interested to see if there's further statements down the road to clarify whether all of these employees are getting laid off or not. No, it is. Uh, it definitely seemed to me like the news came out. It was an even more bad PR for Mayfield consumer products. Mm -hmm. And then another, an executive came out and said, whoa, 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 everyone hang on. Everyone's going to have a home. We just got to figure it out. Now it's going to take years to rebuild the town. And many people are leaving town actually. So, I mean, so I get that maybe some of those people aren't there. And I would say if the jobs are there, Jeff, this is totally doable logistically because the plant in Hickory, which actually isn't built yet, is only about 12 miles north of Mayfield. Mm -hmm. So normally when we see these things where they're like moving jobs to another facility, they're moving across country and they're like, hey, you'll be offered your job. All you got to do is take your kids out of school, move your house and your entire life. Right. And we've got to roll for you. This seems doable. It does. And, you know, I think this is potentially a case study. You know, this tornado was obviously a horrific situation, something you couldn't plan for or whatever. But this company, when you consider that they were started in 1998, out of somebody's garage, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've grown so much. Um, four years ago, 2018, they rolled out an $8 million expansion strategy, which included this new facility, okay. as well as almost $3 million they were going to stick into the one that the tornado hit to expand it and grow it. Mm-hmm. I think what you're looking at here is the difference between somebody who's good at growing a business and somebody who can effectively manage a business. Yeah, Because at every turn, the management of this facility just seems tone deaf to mm-hmm. what their employees are dealing with. So at the time, th- actually this facility, like I said, was going to get about th- almost $3 million to expand it. And that's where this does not match up for me. Mm-hmm. You've got demand, like we were talking about. If you go on to Indeed or some of these other places, I was just curious what employees said, and it's all over the place. Yeah. There are some folks who just absolutely scorched management <laughs> in terms of their opinion on things. And, and you expect that. Yeah. Oh, People yeah. are going to be happy, some aren't. Mm-hmm. But the things that they... The, what caught my eyes, the things that were being pointed out were consistently the same things in yeah. terms of management not communicating things. Mm-hmm. There wasn't clarity on the schedule. There wasn't clarity as to what expectations were. There wasn't clarity on employee training. Mm-hmm. To Anna's point, <clears throat> when you take that lack of clarity in what you're communicating, what your expectations are, you combine that with some frustration and hostility over yeah. how people were treated Legitimate during, yeah, yeah. during this tornado. It just feels like this is that company potentially saying, we've got some people causing trouble here. Mm. this is a way that we can potentially avoid dealing with some of those folks. Yeah, We can bring who we want over to this. We can use this tornado as a reasoning why. And there's probably some legitimacy to that. Mm. But you'd think the communication would be more along the lines of, this is what we can support in this facility right now. 
long term, yeah, we're bringing everybody back because we need to. We need to continue yeah. moving this business mm-hmm. forward. But again, with with those lawsuits and the complaints and the overall morale that those individuals who are frustrated and, like you said, just scared, yeah, coming back into the fold, that's a situation where you need a leader to come up and make everybody feel better about where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, it might be easier if it's not in the same footprint. It might be easier if it's a little outside of town because then you don't have all those memories. And all of the plan is there. They went through in 2018. They got the state of Kentucky on board. They got mm-hmm. local jurisdictions on board for tax breaks and incentives and all that. They're creating new jobs. All the good juju is there. Yeah. Capitalize on it. Yeah. Even take a step back and say, you know what? We should have handled this better. Oh, We're sorry, goodness. folks. We should have done better here. They're not playing it that way, right? They're not like cutting all these jobs so that way when they open the new plant, they can make it seem like they're creating more jobs for more tax breaks. I think they oh, know boy. who the folks are who are causing some some trouble in their minds, trouble yep. here. And they're using this as a way to rebuild, get back going without some of these folks bringing in some of that message. I mean, that's still 250 somebodies. That's a lot of troublemakers. I'm not no, um, so I found it interesting that they had mentioned that they plan to accelerate the opening in Hickory and quote, we'll get it up and running as soon as practical. Not a lot of clarity there. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of clarity, but we're going to try. No, and from an operational standpoint, it also makes sense because even if Hickory doesn't have the capacity to pull in everything lost in Mayfield, it's obviously going to be easier to expand whatever they're building there mm-hmm. than to completely build anew in Mayfield. Because again, like I, the the cleanup effort is still right. The facility you know, is destroyed. Yeah. Um, no, it was just uh, the other thing is that as I was reading this warn notice, I went through each individual job posting and how many of each they were bringing over to Hickory. And I'm counting them. I'm just like, I count all the way up to 250. And then I click back and the article says they're going to cut 250 positions. Like what an incredible waste of my time. No, it's uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it was just uh, it's really frustrating. I mean, may, the people of Mayfield could use a break. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Let's move on to our next most popular story. Airlines again warn of potential disruption from 5G. As AT&T and Verizon plan to launch new 5G wireless service this week, the airline industry threatened to ground or delay thousands of flights. CEOs of airlines in a joint letter said, quote, to be blunt, the nation's commerce will grind to a halt. Let's be blunt. Yeah. Don't want to over-exaggerate the situation yeah. and create panic in the streets. Uh, <laughs> all gas, yeah. no break. That is unless 5G service is blocked near major airports. The problem is with old altimeters that are used to land planes. AT&T and Verizon said their equipment will not interfere with aircraft electronics, and some critics say that the airline industry had several years to upgrade. Now, Jeff, is this just the airliners trying to score free altimeters? <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be expensive. I mean, looked at yeah. a couple of things that the New York Times reported on it. This, this is like billions of dollars. Potentially. I mean, this is not cheap equipment. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in the research that I was doing, basically this whole time leading up to 5G, the FAA is going, hey, guys, this could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not sure about this. We need to, to figure something out. The FCC is going, it's fine. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Mm-hmm. We've done the testing. It's, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. And the problem is they're both right and they're both wrong which mm-hmm. is always the case, it seems, when you get a couple of government agencies on different sides of things. Yeah. Because like you said, the issue is the equipment within the planes, the altimeters being off, maybe not knowing exactly where to land. I mean, that seems like a big deal. Yeah. I think that's worth delaying the uh, the rollout to make sure you can download the 
latest episode of The Witcher quicker. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's not what, what 5G is at. for, Jeff. We just don't know what the other things are. <laughs> oh, my bad. Yeah, 5G is to control you with your implant from your vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> that's what those towers are. And why do they need near the airports again? Hmm? Is that the, is they need them near the airports? Is that like that's how they control the most people? As oh, well as the okay. influx, you know, the the people that are landing in the community, they're actually not indoctrinated until they land in our 5G and we can download our, clo- our code into their implant. Thank you for setting me straight. Yeah. yeah. I hope somebody grabs that. Science. Somebody put that on that. Wikipedia <laughs> for 5G. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it just seems like they both have an interest in getting this resolved. Mm-hmm. 5G isn't going away. The U.S. is really the only country where this seems like it's an issue. Everybody else has figured it out. Yeah. I mean, if, if we need to upgrade these planes... And both of these entities have an interest in it. Share the cost. Let's get it done. Yeah. Because, I mean, they, they what did they cancel? Like 300 some flights that one yeah. day? Yeah. I mean, that's not a huge number, but it would be a pain for those individuals who had their, their flights canceled. That's what I hate it when they say stuff like that. 385 flights were affected, but it was only 2% of all flights that day. It's like, that's still a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. you know, have had their travel plans completely disrupted. Yeah. Uh, and a, What I found interesting was that this could also mean, you know, new business and big business for altimeter subcontractors like Collins, Honeywell and Thales. I wonder where they're sitting on this, where they're just like, I mean, someone's got to budge and either way they're coming to us. So, you know, ramp up production. You are really focused on the altimeter industry right now. It was, uh, well, I did. I kept like, I wanted to see how many altimeter manufacturers there were in yeah. the United States. It was around 50. Then I'm like, okay, but how many are actually contractors for these major airlines? And then I realized I had spent half a day on this story. I was going to say, <laughs> you, did, you did more research than me. Here, yeah. proceed. <laughs> no. Uh, so what do you think about uh, this seeing who's going to kind of flinch scenario? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the reason I think it's been a bigger deal here in the U S as far as from what I've read is that for some reason, our cell towers here put out more thrust power, whatever juice yeah, yeah, than they do elsewhere. So it is a problem specific to the U S yeah, no, France doesn't have this issue. Um, (laughs) France is not hitting it as hard as we are No, with the cell towers. We are doing it 110% and everyone else is doing it a hundred. That's right. We have 100% freedom in our 5g. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be the best. We have like a bald eagle uh, yeah. logo on our 5G signal. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. It's hard for me to tell what, what's actually happening here. I'm glad that that you kind of dug into like the both sides of it because it does seem that like there's both both sides are kind of at fault here. And people have documented that, that they think that the government's role has um, not helped this as much as they said that I read somewhere that they said um, poor coordination and cooperation among the FCC and FAA is as much to blame as the technical issues. Mm. So like you said, they're just sort of like people inching along till this deadline and people are just like, "Mm, we should probably call them. And then nobody did. So I don't know. It kind of feels like big business shoot first and ask questions later, kind of because I feel like if AT&T and Verizon were just going to like pull the plug on this and say, or press start or whatever they're doing, uh, that they would at least be like, hey guys, we're going to do this now. Or, you know, hey guys, uh, just a heads up in two weeks, we're going to do this. And it's like the airlines just, they're like completely caught with their pants down, which seems weird to me that that would happen. I mean, these are major industries. So like some, somebody is dropping the ball here. Right. But, um, uh, and, and they had said that it was still like, 
one fifth of the fleet, yeah. uh, you know, of airlines were were still not able to land in bad weather. Like that is a significant amount of planes. Yeah, and 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 honestly, like airlines have had such a rough go of it in the last two years that I guess I don't blame them for like maybe sleeping on the altimeter thing. They have a lot of um, you know cost centers right now and not as many travelers, and so. They have been struggling to just survive. So to like throw in this like dramatic, almost like, um, you know, entire fleet wide equipment change, which we know on an airplane is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And to Jeff's point, very costly. So I don't know. I mean, I have some sympathy for what they're dealing with here. But again, you kind of wonder where where this got mucked up in the works. Right. You made your own mess. Got to deal with it. Who made it, though? I don't have a lot of sympathy for these huge telecom companies who are complaining, but we've invested all this money. Well, you'll still have it. You just need to wait a little bit. Wait wait until you uncage the eagle that is your 5G signal. That's right. That's right. You'll know when the 5G turns on because you'll hear the uh, screech screech. of the eagle. The screeching eagle. Yeah. And And then proud to be an American plays in the background. (laughs) It It just plays in your head. Do they have the eagle fang? Like symbol coming out from Cobra Kai. Oh, spoiler alert. I'm not there yet. Um, That didn't spoil anything. Okay. Um, So this rollout did kind of happen, but it didn't cripple the industry. And that was kind of a big deal because, you know, the White House came out and put enough pressure on AT&T and Verizon to actually delay activating 5G towers near many airports. The FAA is, like you said, Anna, there's still a fifth of these planes that haven't (laughs) been cleared. But, you know, they're working as hard as they can to clear it. Uh, like they're at 78% of them now, but some of them might never be approved. I know. I saw that too. And I was like, oh, that's going to hurt. Yeah. And it says, you know, it says these operators are going to need to install new equipment. And if you have any doubt, if you're an operator, you need to start working now to install that equipment. This can't be something that you keep kicking the can on (laughs) because... Thank you. You know, yeah, no, well, no, it's just, no, but it's like, I mean, I know it's the obvious, but it just seems like they're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. But it's like, it's happening. Landing's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, if I anything, need to land, you know, install it now, get the planes in the air and then, you know, go after them for damages or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, all right. Um, my stepbrother left a comment. My brother, Ryan, said the show was really good and entertaining. Proud brother moment. Wishing Aww. you guys nothing but success. That's really nice. Thanks, that Ryan. Nice. I appreciate it. Very cool. Yeah, I hope Janelle and the uh, dogs are all doing well. They got a really cool dog named Mustache. Stash? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sweet. Like, older dog. It's a good dog name. Yeah, like, you know how everybody says... Yeah, every everybody says they want to adopt older dogs because it's hard to find them a home. They actually do that. So That's awesome. Really cool. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, thanks for the comment, Ryan. I appreciate it. Um, our most popular story this week, felony charges first in fatal crash involving Tesla autopilot. Prosecutors in California filed two counts of vehicular manslaughter against the Tesla driver who, on autopilot, ran, ran a red light, hit another car, and killed two people in 2019. The defendant appears to be the first person to be charged with a felony in the United States for a fatal crash involving a motorist who was using a partially automated driving system. The 27-year-old driver pleaded not guilty and is out on bail. Now, the driver was in a Tesla Model S moving at a high speed when it left the freeway, ran a red light in Los Angeles or an L.A. suburb of Gardenia, and it hit a Honda Civic and the two occupants in the Civic died at the scene. Now, Jeff, they did say that autopilot was in use in the Tesla at the time of the crash, but it didn't seem like 
that was a big role in the prosecutor's case. Yeah. As soon as I saw this headline with felony and Tesla in the, um, mm-hmm. the headline, I yep. knew we were going to be talking about this one pretty prominently. Yeah. I think the first thing that hit me was, excuse me, <clears throat> I was happy to see that the sole onus is really being placed on the operator of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. They weren't going after the technology as much. They weren't going after Tesla specifically. I think that's the right move. Whenever we talk about this subject, as specifically to Tesla, with their their autopilot and something bad happening, though, I feel like I'm arguing every side of this possible. Right. Oh, yeah. Totally. Because at the end of the day, it is the driver's fault. The yeah. driver had the equipment. They bought the vehicle. They knew it was there. They have mm-hmm. to take responsibility. However, Tesla, again, mm. like when people are continuing to misuse something, you do have to have some form of responsibility for what you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. You, you do have to own it in some way, shape, or form. Now, I don't know exactly what that is. And I'm not saying that the government needs to crack down on Tesla. You just want them to be a better corporate citizen, even if it's something along the lines. And I know I'm probably opening up a whole nother can of worms here. But it it feels like when I buy a rifle. Oh, a big one. When I buy a shotgun, (laughs) they do a background check. Oh, yeah. They do a background check and they can see I was in the military. They can see I've had a hunting license before. I have some familiarity with how to safely use that shotgun or rifle. Okay. Yeah. I don't need a license for it. I don't need a special permit for it, but they can they can at least do that. Now you can criticize how intense those background checks are Let's as just, much as you want. We'll to, use okay? that as just a little We're just using metaphor. it as a metaphor. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. In this situation, you almost feel like that almost also needs to take place with some of this technology. If yeah. you need to be if you're going to have autonomous technology in your vehicle, you need to demonstrate that you are a good driver, that you have been responsible with a vehicle. Maybe get the insurance company involved because they may not want you to have an autonomous vehicle. They may not want to insure you having <laughs> an autonomous vehicle because yeah. a lot of bad things can happen if you are not conscious enough or or responsible enough to handle it. I'm sounding like a dad talking to my kids here. But yeah. I mean, that's the bigger problem here. And I don't know how you police personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you police corporate good citizenship. Yeah. But man, this just seems like one of those situations where we do need to be better. And I'm glad in this instance that they are going after this person for horrible, horrible conduct. So they need to have that, you know, uh, progressive thing that plugs into your car and like low jacks Maybe. it to see your performance before they'll insure you in your Tesla. Maybe. Maybe yeah. there just I, needs to be some yeah. something, yeah. some filter. I yeah. don't know what it is. No, it's, I mean, I joke about it, but it is, you know, it's a new technology and people seem to be abusing it. And the, Worst part of this, Anna, after I read the story, I was like, my one takeaway was, oh, well, he's just stupid. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I and don't, uh, of course, reckless. Yes. Um, but I also think, and this, uh, you know, this is kind of jumping off what Jeff said, but I, I do think that the driver needs to be held accountable for the misuse of the autopilot system. Right. But also... <laughs> Like, yeah. I think there are a lot of parties that are responsible for this or, or parties that could maybe make the situation better. And I think what about at least acknowledging broadly that there have been significant changes being made to automobiles and maybe we need to do more than simply just take the down payment and hand over the keys. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there's something to be said for training the general populace a little better on some of these new technologies because they just roll them out mm-hmm. and they're just part of the deal. And you took driver's ed when you were 16 and you didn't even have push button windows. Um, and I'm not saying like some of that stuff is really easy to use, but some of it, I mean, I've seen 
plenty of people who don't know how to use their rear view cameras, mm-hmm. who uh, they rely on their, um, what is it, the the lane departure system yep. to beep mm-hmm. before they kind of zone back yep. in. Um, I think there's a lot of misuse, careless use of some of the new technology that's been coming out. And nobody bats an eye when somebody is held accountable in those cases, right? Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. back up without looking at your camera mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. Um, I think there needs to be something, though, on the prevention side as well. I don't think we need to be just looking at who we're going to blame and, you know, like something needs to be done beforehand, whether it's you need to take a test and, you know, uh, to, something. to yeah. yeah, to be driving this car that has all these new features that didn't exist before. Maybe that's what we have to do. Yeah. I know nobody wants to do that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I, I think we're getting to where more people would embrace that. Again, I've said it before. Continuing my old man mantra here. Yeah. As vehicles have gotten easier to drive, people have gotten worse at driving. Sure. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I don't know if it's just because it's easier to become more distracted by by all the different electronics and creature comforts that are there. But it is getting to a point almost where you almost have to qualify with a specific vehicle before Mm -hmm. you can take it off the lot. That would make me feel better. Mm -hmm. And again, I think if you got insurance companies involved in this, they could be a very powerful ally Mm -hmm. in helping to rein in some of these bad drivers. Yeah. Honestly, I loved driver's ed. A 2.0 version sounds kind of fun. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's just, uh, and instead of like how you had to take the test with like whatever beater your family would trust you with, (laughs) you actually get to like something that's top of the line with all the features. I mean, uh, you were nervous because you weren't sure if the horn would work on that particular time. There's like a chicken break in there still. Yeah. You forget exactly what a Y turn is like. (laughs) The, Hit the curb on your um, parallel parking. I did that. <laughs> yeah. Or the, uh, I heard one story of where the dad's beer cans rolled out from underneath oh, the passenger. Wow. The ice. Ever seen? It's just like, those aren't mine. Those are not mine. Only in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Um, no, Anna, kind of to your point also, uh, one person on the website who goes by Screaming Cheese. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Screaming Cheese. Yeah. That's fantastic, by the way, whoever that is. That's wonderful. <clears throat> He said that he was upset with the article and said that, you know, you might as well report every accident involving cruise control. And kind of to your point, cruise control is a well-known, understood feature of a car that people learned and were trained on. Where something, when new technology like this rolls out, people don't know how to use it. Like, But if you're going too fast for conditions and you rear end someone, you will be held accountable for that. Oh, yeah. 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 That's negligence, right? Like, yeah. So that's... Same thing that's happening here. I just wish we could stop it before it happens, right? Yeah, no, completely agree. But it's uh, it's just when you take legacy features mm-hmm. that are known versus something that's um, brand new, there's got to be some sort of training. I would think so. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and actually, another interesting comment came in from Ryan. He said they should have training uh, a training course at the dealership before you leave with that vehicle. That's exactly yeah. all I'm yeah. saying. Yep. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's just a, a different take on the, uh, <laughs> it's just a different take on the, um, when you try a car, like, you know, instead of them just like giving you the keys and like a little bit of trust and saying, oh, let us know what you think. They yeah. actually sit there and like slap your hands. Just like, don't you touch that autopilot. <laughs> what are you doing? We're going into a suburb. Like, <laughs> I like this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the also, drive, please. it That'd sounds like, it sounds like something really fun to do when I retire. You know, be, like be the test drive police. Yeah, be the yeah. test just, drive police and just I like just sit in the back seat. With my what do you think you're doing? Trust. What are you doing? Yeah, you know what this is. This is how I got a window open in my day, son. Like, <laughs> 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 all right. Well, let's move on to in case you missed it. Uh, the part of the show where we talk about stories that you know 
might not have been as popular on the websites, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. And I'm going to start because I think of all the things we covered this week, this could have a significant impact on the industry. Oh, uh, the story COVID death ruled work related at an auto parts supplier. On January 14th, OSHA cited auto parts supplier Sano America following an investigation into the company's COVID-19 mitigation policies. Following a complaint, OSHA opened an investigation that found the company was ignoring guidelines as well as its own policies to limit coronavirus exposure, including social distancing and mask wearing. According to the safety agency, five employees were hospitalized and two died. And then OSHA determined at least one of those deaths were work-related. The company was cited for one serious and one other than serious violation with proposed penalties of $26,527. And I'm just saying because I've heard stories about uh, plants that are letter the law. Mm -hmm. Exactly what the CDC says is what they're doing in the plant because they're trying to prevent, you know, uh, this type of risk. And then I've heard stories from other manufacturers that are just like, yeah, you know, you got to wear it in, but uh, you do whatever you want once you're inside. I don't care. It's, you know, it's free world. So this story just struck me and it was, you know, it was sort of popular, but not popular enough to get in the top five because companies need to protect themselves from things like this, regardless of their beliefs in what's going on, Mm -hmm. because they could be held accountable. No, that's a great point. You know, to look at it from that perspective, I was looking at it more like I was glad OSHA was involved. Oh yeah, can hear the fine seems low, ridiculous. Um, twenty six thousand for what happened, and that's the one that, and you know, that's the weird thing when we talk about this COVID stuff. Ninety nine out of a hundred people won't be affected, but mm-hmm. when it hits, man, it hits hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what we see here. So, to see that something was done, good. Again, OSHA's teeth here, not as strong as you would hope. I think you make a great point about corporate responsibility. It's not just following laws. It's also making sure you're not leaving yourself open to even greater impact than what this already had. Yeah. And so the company was also hit. This is the one thing. The company was also hit for failing to record the work-related death and notify OSHA within eight hours as required. But they probably had no idea that that would be determined Mm -hmm. a work-related death. Yeah, I thought that was strange also that – you would think an employee dies of COVID. That's probably not the first thing that they think is to notify OSHA of that. Yeah. And I mean, if anything, part of the equation here was that they violated their own or neglected their own policies. So, I mean, maybe if your policy is to have no policy, don't just have the boilerplate on the wall, you know, saying what you're supposed to say and not follow it because that, you know, that could harm you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do better. Um, all right. Jeff. What is your, in case you missed it this week? So I think mine is more significanter oh, than yours for the industry. Disagree without even is knowing what it word? is. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just, not, I just <laughs> wanted to say significanter. Yeah, it's definitely a better word. Sure. Um, I picked a story about <laughs> railroad trying to block workers from striking. So BNSF, which is by revenue and by the amount of freight that they haul, the largest railroad in the U.S. Okay, mm. And before you start talking about maybe railroad not being that big of a deal, about a third of all freight, when we talk about materials, stuff like lumber, Mm -hmm. um, coal, other things like that, a lot of food ingredients are still hauled by railroad. So this is a huge deal. They're trying to block, there's 17,000 workers from striking. This is two different unions. And what this all stems about is BNSF, Burlington North Santa Fe Railroad, basically wanted to put in a provision that penalized workers for not showing up to work. Mm. 
because when you look at all the issues that are going on right now with supply chains, obviously when workers aren't there, the railroad's losing money. They're already facing a worker shortage. They're not being able to get stuff there on time. They're losing customers, all of that. Well, the unions looked at this and said, we're in the middle of a pandemic, man. Yeah. You can't tell us we can't, if we're sick, we can't come to work. And then you're going to penalize us for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See the previous and story. If you put this in, which it was supposed to hit by February 1st, we're going to strike. Now, what I didn't realize is that a company can actually say, no, you can't strike. I didn't even know that was a thing. No. How but do they do that? Apparently, they're seeking um, a ruling by a federal judge to say because it's supply chain and because of the detrimental oh. impact that this will have on a lot of different industries, hmm. workers, their business as a whole, they can prevent these two unions, which would be the, uh, let's see what we got here, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen and the Transportation Division of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation. So a lot of workers for the biggest railroad in the country could be going on strike, depending on what this judge says. So I think this is going to be one that we're going to be following. Yeah. Because if these unions are allowed to go on strike and shut this railroad down, because the company wants to keep this provision about calling in sick in place, mm. you could be seeing even more bottlenecks. So they're trying to like file an injunction. Right. Like, okay. What I don't get about this is that the policy that they're trying to update is 20 years old. Yeah. It's a 20 year old policy. And they're like, you know what? During a global pandemic, that's when we're going to set it, set it straight. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't make any sense to me. Well, you've got that dynamic. You've also got the fact that they everybody wants more people to come work for them. Yeah. What type of recruiting pitch are you sending right, out exactly. there saying, mm-hmm. hey, look, we really, really want you. We're going to pay you a little bit more. But man, if you get sick, you got to show up. Yeah. That doesn't work. Well, railroads are having a tough time. Like, did you see all the news out of, what is it, LA, where they're looting trains now? Yeah. And like yeah. the trains, like 17 cars possibly derailed because there's so much debris on the railroad yeah. because of everyone, everything <clears throat> being unboxed. Yeah. yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, well, frankly, it's a mess. <laughs> well, has this ever happened before? Is there precedent for this that a, a industry was deemed so critical that its union workers in that sector have been barred from from striking? It's hard to imagine when you see teachers going on strike. I mean, the only thing that comes to my mind would be like police officers yeah. or oh, yeah. something like that. Hmm. But which because they have a union. But I mean, like I said, teachers go on strike. That's pretty important. Yeah, like uh, nurses go on strike. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really important... It's like the too big to fail of workforces. Well, and you'd think that like, yeah, if, uh, if that, st- then everyone's going to say that they have a critical industry, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, just, I never, I did not realize how big of a role rail still plays oh, in, yeah. within our supply chain and, and everything it's responsible for. So man, if something does break here and these folks go on strike, it's going mm-hmm. to be hard. A significant portion of the, our audience, people that are watching this and people that read IEN and manufacturing.net still ship a lot of machines, parts, yeah. all of it goes on rail. Yep. And they, you know, they talk about problems that they have with that all the time in terms of once you get it on the container, you don't know what's really going to happen, but yep. I can't imagine if that all comes to a halt. So, all right. Yours is maybe like in terms of like 10, Yours is like a 10, important, mine's like a nine. Okay. No, right. I win. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Anna, what is your in case you missed it this week? Okay. So um, my in case you missed it has to do with Peloton, the luxury uh, exercise equipment company. Um, analysts are asking if 
this is the end for Peloton. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Well, uh, yeah, I've seen some kind of very dramatic headlines like, oh. is, is Peloton toast? And um, so, you know, is Pel- Peloton Peladun. Pel- Are they on their last wheel? Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> the last go round for Peloton. Get them out of your system. Peloton okay. hits the brakes. All right. <laughs> Everybody, uh, no your story. Are we done? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, uh, <laughs> so Peloton is planning to pause production on some of its higher end models. It had already announced one earlier, I think, in October, saying that they were going to stop production on their Bike Plus, which is a very expensive bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're pausing on some treadmills. They got, uh, you know, a long wait before some of this stuff is going to be ready again for buyers. Um, their stock has been beaten up pretty badly in the last year. Um, and that was strange because uh, the pandemic kicked off with a tons of people buying exercise equipment. Mm-hmm. And then like last year, uh, there was some really uh, dangerous incidents with their treadmills um, to the point where even like a, a person died, a child yeah. um, related the to the treadmill. Um, and then not to mention a weird stock tank that came after a character on a popular TV show died after a Peloton workout. And mm-hmm. then like the, it was trending on Twitter that I don't know. People Peloton t- got dragged into it. Yeah. People are yeah. too emotionally invested in their shows. Yeah, that's true. But I guess my point is, um, or what I was getting at is it made me think how strange it is that like Peloton had done a really good job of marketing their brand for a long time. And you kind of wonder if a situation like this would occur um, with any other exercise bike maker uh, featured in a TV show. Yeah. Uh, because um, a lot of exercise equipment is a lot more under the radar than Peloton mm-hmm. is. And now Peloton is like losing a ton of ground. Um, and then these other under the radar knockoff brands who are gaining market share due to their lower prices are not getting their names besmirched in the media because nobody knows what their names are. Yeah. So like... I don't know. It just kind of shows that there's like downsides to being the biggest the name leader. in town. Right. Yeah. And in this case, I think when Peloton has to slow or pause production, they're having to play catch up um, from all this brand damage that they experienced throughout the year. So t- with, with those things coupled, I think this really could do a lot to, I mean, their, their top, their stock is in trouble. Mm-hmm. It's really in trouble. So, yeah, no. And actually to your point about uh, personal wellness equipment, uh, I was I was with somebody that works for a company that does uh, commercial treadmills, mm-hmm. uh, rowing machines, stuff like that. They the last two years have just been incredible, yeah, incredible. But what I thought about when I saw this story is, you know, you couldn't imagine that that would continue. You know, I know that it was. I mean, Peloton knew that it was knocking it out of the park. I mean, we have multiple friends. Do either of you guys have a Peloton? No. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of friends that have them and swear by them. You know, like legitimately say this kept me sane Mm -hmm. during lockdown. And I get that, but, um, and you know, they had the horrible recall with the treadmill. Mm -hmm. So that incident aside with the bikes, when I see that they're ramping up production on a new bike, these are significant investments. So when everyone was drinking the Peloton Kool-Aid, I'm like, maybe I need one of these. This is, you know, like, uh, and I was investigating it and just, it's way too expensive. They're really expensive. So I can't imagine that, even if they had all these loyal people that use it, that they're 
ready for an upgrade already. Well, and and think about that. You're right. Like the hardware is very expensive, but uh, Peloton actually makes a lot of their money on um, like subscriptions. Subscriptions, and they have a very expensive app. It's like fifteen dollars a month or something, which is more than anyone pays for an app, right? Well, yeah. But it's like monthly um, these exercise equipment or exercise classes or whatever. Yeah, it's like your personal training. Right, yeah. And um, what I read was like in the last few months, people are starting to actually go back to the gym. Mm -hmm. So uh, this Mm -hmm. recurring revenue, the subscription model that they have is taking a huge hit on top of the fact that their actual equipment is not selling very well right now. So it was a... But that had to be expected. What is the level of brand loyalty for a Peloton buyer? So are they, I guess just to clarify, are they saying... (laughs) They're going to lose their potential because people are going back to the gym. Like they're not going to use the Peloton machine. They won't pay for the app. I mean, is or how brand loyal I guess are these guys? Do you guys have a read on that? I feel like you're Peloton really user? you're really bought in because you know to make get the most out of your extremely expensive bike, you need the extremely expensive app. And by then, you know, why do you need to go to the gym? I guess. Well, I yeah, know. it's. I but mean, then are you sustaining new business? Like, if, yeah. you know what I mean. If people can go back to the gym and they don't have to invest thirty five hundred dollars on a bike. And then recurring fifteen dollars a month. Yeah. I mean, you can get a pretty nice gym membership for a long time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, how can they adjust the business model before the chain falls off? I don't know. And yeah. thanks for saying chain falls off. <laughs> They're just treading water right now, guys. <laughs> it's not swimming. No, um, they. Uh, <laughs> treads on the bike tire. Hmm. Yeah, we. I got treadmill. Some water. Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. You can solid. have it back. You it can have solid. it. Back. It was, all right. All right. It wasn't great. No, <clears throat> but uh, so Anna, for your question, like, do you see a way out for Peloton on this? I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I think that like every time we say the pandemic is over, it's never uh, over. True. So it's highly possible that the conditions of the pandemic will be more amenable to Peloton's business model, right? The stay-at-home thing. However, the brand damage that they've experienced, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Like when people associate your brand with death, which is what happened. Yeah, um, especially small kids. Yeah, Yeah. you got a a big hill to climb to get out of that. So I don't know what happens now. Yeah, I I still do think a Peloton is sort of a badge of honor. It is kind of like a big deal to brag about having one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would. So, but then there's that other stuff too. Was Peloton like the CrossFit of the pandemic? Like, do you Peloton? Just like, no, I don't. And you guys are all creepy with each other. It's weird. <laughs> do you want to meet up on in a class on Peloton's yeah, app? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is that how it works? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, we'll see. I guess we'll see if Peloton's a fad or if they, you know, can pivot and do something else. Are the people watching you exercise on the Peloton app? Like, are you, oh. are the, are they, are you watching oh. a video of somebody or is I this think some really? of them are live. Mm-hmm. Some of them are recorded. Oh, like programs, but but I'm you mean can the life. teacher see you? Yeah, like can you see each other? Oh, like I know you can see the teacher, but I can't imagine the teacher wants to see like thirty thousand sweaty faces. Well, you I can don't... do it. You know, yeah, Dan from Dubuque, <laughs> get in there. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually not looking good. Just slow down, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I guess I don't know any Peloton personal trainer. Right yeah. yeah. Yeah, be careful let's, out there. Let's Dan. just get one. Figure yeah. it out. Okay. Yeah. Buy one for the oh, office. Jeff wants one, I think. Yeah. Office Peloton. Okay. No, I don't. All right. Let's move on to our final thoughts. Uh, I guess I'll start with this one. My final thought is that, you know, as we've been talking about getting out there a little bit and doing some, something that's a little different, I was invited to join a, uh, a bowling team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was actually, I was never skeptical. I really wanted to do it. I haven't bowled in a while. And it turns out that if you don't 
bowl for a long time, you do lose any sort of skill that you have. <laughs> it's okay. not yeah. like, oh God, I almost said riding a bike. No, well, <laughs> <laughs> right, just I like am. riding a bell. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that while I have bowled in the past, I have bowled like the occasional game here or there during maybe like a cosmic bowling mm-hmm. session. Yep. Uh, never three games right in a row, right in a row. And it's, uh, it gets pretty, it gets pretty tired. Like uh, that ball gets heavy. It's, uh, but I was a lot of fun. Do you need like a third game ball that's a little bit lighter? It's actually really funny. For the third game, I got a lighter ball and it just, it just wasn't working for me. I was just equally terrible with that one. Can you share what your three game series was? No, I know that was like, no, no, it was, I was like 130, 120, 94. So it was like, and everyone else on the team was clearly getting better. And I'm just like, I'm not seeing it. You know, and, and granted, like this league that we're on, you get like a free bucket of rum, a pizza and chicken wings. So it's not like I was fueling my body with like the elite. <laughs> well, I don't think that's associated with bowling. No, I don't think bowling, you're like slamming food? like no, electrolytes and uh, yeah. yeah, but it's a gel like, pack. Yeah. You know, as as you start dipping into the rum, <laughs> that'd, bucket, be, that'd be amazing. That's what I need. I need to bring the salmon shooters. <laughs> um no, like, uh, but like you say, you start sipping on that rum bucket and you're like, I mean, maybe I don't have to hit that arrow all the time. What you is a sipping on a rum yeah, bucket? Yeah, what is a rum yeah, bucket? Don't throw that out like everybody knows what that is. It is a, sipping on a rum they bucket. call it a rum bucket league. And with every, every week you get one free bucket of rum. Oh, this is what, this is what Wisconsin is like in the winter. For those of you who don't live here. Yeah. How big is, is like this really bucket? how it's I, like? We, we were talking about how, rum. yes, how we were misled on this bucket because I, it, like, I was under the belief that it was like a standard trick or treat sort of bucket, you know, okay. uh, they said, um, it was a 32 ounce bucket and then you get there and it's like this tiny little petite pint glass. That's just the shape of a bucket. And you're like. I mean, I already paid, so I'm staying, but I was promised so a, a larger bucket of rum. It's a rum drink or just like, is it pure rum? Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's basically a Malibu branded oh. bucket that's filled with Malibu and every other fruit juice behind the bar. And it's so delicious. So David is telling us that. essentially that he bowled and drank uh, Malibu and pineapple juice. Yeah, no, it was the most masculine evening I've had in a while. There's worse things to do on a Thursday. No, I was. It was so much fun. That was the thing. Is like I, I loved it. I haven't gone bowling in so long, and uh, it turns out I'm still a sucker for the speedometer. You know, like uh, I've never seen that before. Yeah, they like they clock how fast you're throwing it, and then it's like, well, if I can't throw it straight, I might as well try to throw it as fast as I can <laughs> to the I moon. Like it. Yeah, I like it. yeah. But uh, all right, Anna, what's your final thought this week? Um, I just wanted to say thank you to Jeff because this morning things were getting pretty dark in the office. Uh, but in my defense, Louis Anderson and Meatloaf died. Oh, yeah. And we learned of those this morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were having a pretty, you know, dark discussion about how terrible it is when you get the pay it forward thing at Starbucks in the drive through. <laughs> yeah. And then Jeff told us that we were being jerks. Yeah. And that buying coffee for other people is nice and that we should just deal with it and then we just put our heads you just down. just did. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the pay it forward thing. I mean, maybe it's just the model's broken. We just got to rethink it a little bit because it makes it more difficult on the people that are working there. It puts pressure on the people that are presented with the opportunity. Just, I think what we arrived at was just tip more, right? Yeah, just pay for your own coffee and tip more. But Jeff- Maybe wave to the person behind you. <laughs> so they at least think you paid it forward and you're just like, oh, I'm just I, saying hi. I must have really alienated Anna by just saying- what, what's what's wrong with buying somebody coffee? Mm. That in really, person. really mm, nothing, set her off. Nothing. No, I think in person so, it's fine. I just don't want the coffee to be bought for me. No. All right. Leave me alone. So put, don't ever do that. Put this person on my tab. <laughs> How about a 
Hard Mike's Lemonade. But we were laughing Ooh. anyway because Jeff... Uh, oh, uh, They're still in the fridge. Jeff set us straight and mm-hmm. we deserve You're welcome, it. everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sure, like on my like random bowling vibe, I mean like get out there and try some things now. It's okay. Yeah. It's safe. And bowling, if it's one of them, it's fun. And if you have a bucket of rum, you're good. <laughs> no. Uh, Jeff, uh, any bowling or paying it forward this weekend coming up? Um, I'm not a pay it forward guy. I'll be honest. I don't do that. But, but you will I don't defend think it's a big deal till somebody wants your right to, to Wait, do so until the day you die. I don't think it's a big die. deal if somebody wants to buy you coffee. So you are defending it and you don't do it? I thought, no. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was all staked in. Like, I thought we unve- uh-huh. unraveled this thing where like Jeff's uh, just paying it forward everywhere. Yeah. Like Jeff's pay it forward ranky. Come on. Hey, do you guys want some coffee? I'll go get some. It's fine. I bring in donuts once in a while. Yeah. I'll pay for my it? own coffee. Thank oh, you. Um, Monday donuts. Following up on your bowling thing, though, <laughs> yeah, we um, we threw axes over Ooh. Christmas break. Whoa, yeah. that was awesome. That yeah. sounds that awesome. a lot of fun. I would highly recommend it. Anna, your kids are probably a little bit young. I'm not yeah. giving any one of them an axe. Yeah, yeah. David, I would love to see Des yeah. throw an axe just because I feel like it would be scary how natural that might come to him. Oh man, the first time <laughs> you throw an axe and get it to stick into a wall, it is some primal yeah. stuff. It's fun. Yeah, it it's is just a good like time. oh, this is why <clears throat> wars because it's kind of fun until you die. Yeah, yeah, that no, was a good time. Okay, so I'd highly recommend that. Also, hey, I don't know if you remember, but we did a trivia question oh. last week. Yeah, we did. All right. Yeah, so we did for, have some responses for everyone listening. Uh, even though we sit next to Jeff every day. He would not reveal the answer to us no. the entire week. No. no. So no. we we all will be as surprised as He's you. He's just like also surprisingly cage like elusive about it. Just like, I don't know. Maybe one of those answers is right. Maybe none of them is right. We'll mm-hmm. have to see. We'll have to see Friday. <laughs> so I'm excited. All right. So the question was drawer. What was it, Anna? So you're gonna have to lock that drawer with the cards <laughs> in it. Uh, <laughs> they're sitting on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the question from last week was where do most fatal falls occur in the house? Do you guys want to answer before I? I I think it's got to be bathroom. But just because I would think falling down the stairs, but most, like some homes don't have stairs either to the basement or up, upstairs because there's no stairs. Okay. So yeah. I got, it's got to be bathroom. I think stairs or maybe roof, but I think stairs if I have to choose one stairs. So we had all of those answers come in. Okay. We did have people say the roof. That would have been my first guess. I yeah. would have said the roof. I can also appreciate the people who said falling down the basement stairs because inevitably that should be, that will be the source of my demise. Like <laughs> I have tripped enough going down those oh, stairs. God. And usually it's because my wife's like, where are we going to put this thing? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'll just throw it downstairs. She's like, well, do you need some help? No, <laughs> I got it. I can do this. And then I bang off three pieces of uh, drywall before I finally get it down there. Almost tripped twice, but you know, mm-hmm. so far so good. But it's not. It is actually the bathroom, David. Yes. You are correct. What? Yeah. It is the bathroom. A lot of slippery surfaces. Oh. And you know who else yeah. was correct? Marina. Crushing it again. That nice. is her third straight Whoa. trivia question. So we, we're going to have to do something. We got to yeah, get like, like a bigger pl- shirt. Please stop sending me t-shirts. Yeah. 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 So we need to like get, get her a hat or something. I don't know. Just send her some Mike's Hard Limit. We could get hats. I'm into this. We have send to. Send her a, get some trucker hats. a rum bucket. Go send her a rum yeah. bucket. They don't have lids and I'm not going to send it with the lid. Just like, I'm sure it'll make it. All right. Man. Rum bucket coming Marina's way. Yeah. That'd be fun to mail. Honestly, as soon as you said that, I brought me right back to college and how all of my roommates loved it. Not me, of course, but all of them liked the shower beer. 
And uh, there were a lot of falls in our bathroom. <laughs> a lot of serious falls. Oh, my God. And uh, no, to your point, falling down the stairs, we had uh, sl- swimming lessons this week. And, you know, it's when I go when I get home, it's like all the white clothes. I just throw down the stairs and they always make it down the stairs. And this week they did not make it all the way down the Uh-oh. stairs. Oh, no. And it turns out that children's briefs when wet are slick. Very slick. Very mm. slick. You get moving real quick. Gravity is not kind to this man. I am envisioning something out of a cartoon, like where David is flailing his arms. Oh, yeah. His feet are like just yeah. going his, in a big circle. Yeah. Yeah. His head. yeah. I fall like Fred Flintstone. He's, where like I'm on my back and then I flip over onto my face and then I'm upright. And, you know, he's blurry. Mostly. Were there feet. birds kind of like tweeting around your head? There were. Nice. There were. But that's like an infestation problem. Oh, that's, that's another thing. <laughs> All right. So we've got another trivia question. Let's do it. All right. You guys should have some input here. What is the biggest safety hazard to children in the home? Oh, no. Me. What is the biggest? <laughs> what What do you have to be afraid of most for children getting into? Biggest safety hazard for children in the home. But don't answer. So don't answer now. Think okay. about it. Okay. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from everybody on what their responses are. Hmm. I wish again. I wish this was like in the uh, in the plants. What's the biggest safety hazard for, for children, children in, in a factory? Plant? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so many things. Very good. Well, Marina, let's see if you can knock out a fourth one. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Well, uh, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. To email the podcast, your answer to the trivia question, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Finally, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, or no, subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters, make sure that you get the inbox to your podcast first. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) And if you want to subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters, we'll make sure that we get the podcast to your inbox first. That's the one. Attaboy. That's the (laughs) one. Attaboy. Wrap it up. Yep. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.